Blog Talk Radio. Playing Sports City Chefs from Amazon Music. by PHI Apparel Company. PHI Apparel Company provides unique designs and high-quality clothing for the great fans of the Philadelphia area. With their original designs for all, there's no doubt that they'll stand out in the crowd. Act now and listeners can use the promo code CHEFS for 15% off any apparel when you shop online at phiapparel.co. That's phiapparel.co. Remember to use the promo code CHEFS for 15% off. Act now while supplies last. Shout out to Barry Jordan and the Jordan family. Moment of silence to the Jordan family for real. Yeah, and I was just kicking it with them last night. I will get into all of that, all the festivities and everything that went down last night. Sports City, like I said, an electric month of March. I cannot be mad at all 31 of those days that went by. We are here. Got to get my co-host in here. Mr. Harvey, welcome to the brunch. How are you feeling this morning? What's up, TP, man? Uh, hey, man, March was madness for sure. I right, get to talk about the aftermath of today. I'm excited to be here. It's always a pleasure to do the time of Sunday morning brunch with you. That is for sure. There's a lot of different avenues to go down. I don't know which street to go down because every last one of them feels like an electric eel at the end of it or somewhere in there something's going to happen. But um, I'm not going to lie, Sports City, I was losing. I am losing my voice. It's coming back. I'm actually huffing on honey and lemon right now, as best we can right now to do the show, but the show must go on. Okay. So first and foremost, um, I know this was something that Mike wanted to hit on. I'm going to get to it first or uh, derve this thing out. The final four for the women's side and um the first set of games well mike i'll let you set it off y'all you go first on the games that went down the the women's college final four 
and uh, the matchups and how they proceeded to get to the national championship, which will be taking place today. Yeah, so it's really kind of an exciting uh, thing. Unlike the men's side, you had two number one seeds, a two and a three advance. Oh, I'm just much. something here. Okay, you can still hear me okay? Yeah. Uh, so we had we had two number ones, a two and a three advance. And, listen, there was a lot of talk about this South Carolina-Iowa game. Player of the year last year to lead Boston. Player of the year this year, Caitlin Clark. And she came off a 41-point uh, triple-double in the regional finals there for South Carolina, for Iowa. And, listen, she did it again. You know, like 41 points on South Carolina. It was a close game, but that girl was hitting shots. She was – Turn the corner on people. Uh, Iowa ends up beating undefeated and uh, defending national champion uh, South Carolina in the second game. What did it say by four? I didn't have the score in front of me. I thought you were going to read about it. I want to say by four. Uh, but it was uh, – Iowa's out in front most of the second half. <laughs> All you got to know, though, is South Carolina didn't shoot great. They were out – they out-rebounded Iowa by 25. But I was able to pull it out. And on the other side, uh, for the first time ever in school history, with neither one of these two teams, Iowa or uh, the LSU Tigers, have ever played for a national championship. So LSU played Virginia Tech, who was the other number one seed that made the Final Four. Uh, got up big early, but second half of the second quarter and early part of the third, Virginia Tech went on a run. Uh, but Kim Mulkey and the LSU Tigers, they were able to close it out 29 to 13 in the fourth quarter to win a uh, a pretty grueling matchup against uh, Virginia Tech with the LSU Tigers win as well. So today we have LSU and Iowa playing for the national championship. It's kind of exciting, TP, because you got UConn, who's the juggernaut that they are. You got Dawn Staley with what she's been doing at South Carolina. And shame on the press for some of the comments I read in the aftermath of that, too. That's a whole other story. But, uh, you know, Notre Dame's been who they are, but all this going on in women's basketball, we're going to have a first-time national champion this year. It's just crazy to, excuse me, to see how a lot of this stuff is going down, especially the way both of these matchups went. Uh, first and foremost, the first game that you hit on was the Iowa-South Carolina game. I really thought that the buck was going to stop here with Iowa, even though that Iowa had a, a young lady that was in the paint that, can actually defend and, and had a, a decent-sized body to deal with the Leah Boston and was able to do that in the game. But I didn't think they had enough to withstand the 40 minutes of playing with these girls. And Caitlin Clark is like Kent Clark. That got to be Kent Clark's sister or something because this girl is shooting from half court and making out of things. Blame Steph Curry for this madness because this girl is shooting from the logo often. It's not like she's pulling up one time from there. She's doing it whenever you give her the space. She's confident enough to hit that shot from anywhere on the floor. She's in range when she steps on the floor. This girl is immaculate right now. And um, the confidence to know that this was what it was going to take to beat South Carolina is not going to the teeth of dealing with those girls as much as possible, but trying to shoot over the defense that they had, and it worked. For Caitlin Clark to be as effective as she was to put up 41 points in back-to-back matchups or or back-to-back games, excuse me, uh, for her is incredible from an Elite Eight to a Final Four this girl should definitely win most outstanding player, even if they do lose in the matchup against LSU. 
But for her to take out South Carolina, especially uh, in the fact that South Carolina was undefeated at this point, and it, it kind of feels like, I want to say 2007, when the Patriots lost to the Giants undefeated and you really felt like there was nothing that could stop them, and the unthinkable happens. You get a team to come up here and stop them. Iowa, sitting in the middle of the country, stop South Carolina when they clearly look like the best team out there in the brackets getting it done. So I, I definitely have to tip my hat to Iowa for getting it done. They haven't been to the Final Four since 1993. They are getting to a uh, shot to win a national championship, and it's taking place in a few hours. And, and I'm I'm definitely at the edge of my seat for this one. LSU and Kim, Kim Mulkey, the uh, coach down there making a lot of things happen in the past year with so much stuff, uh, you know, swirling around Brittany Griner and her having to answer questions when she really didn't even want to stress the issue. So you have the wherewithal to still keep this team – you know, on track and, and getting to this point and uh, knocking out uh, Virginia Tech at this point where Virginia Tech was taking care of business in the ACC and straddling along all throughout the tournament and knocking off big team after big team. It looked like Virginia Tech was going to play spoiler, but LSU did what they needed to do to, to win this game, winning this game by seven, where you had uh, Reese leading this team with 24 points and 12 rebounds with three steals as well uh, in a losing effort. Kitley had 18 points and 12 rebounds and seven blocks uh, doing work in the paint. But LSU definitely did what they needed to do to knock off a number one seed at Virginia Tech at this point in time. I'm going to tell you this, for the month of March, for all of the basketball that has gone on thus far, incredible. This has to be the best tournament both sides I've ever seen. I've ever seen. Where you got underdogs knocking off people, the unthinkable happening, uh, Undefeated teams getting knocked off, or one seed getting knocked off by 16. This, this is mayhem. Forget madness. They have to come up with a new M word, mayhem. So I don't even know something crazy. But this is just the women's side. This is just the women's side. So now we have it all set up. LSU Iowa today. This should be an interesting game. Uh, Mike, who do you think wins this matchup today, LSU or Iowa? So I learned a long time ago, never bet on my squad. <laughs> I mean, uh, at least when you when it comes down to betting purposes. Uh, listen, uh, this is, like I said, exciting. I mean, both these teams got a chance to, you know, put their name in the record books for the first time in history. LSU had been back there and since 2008. They had five straight. You think it was Simone Augusta, Cynthia Fowles, but never able to advance to this level. Uh LSU's playing with house money. They're not supposed to be here yet, TP, but you just never know. Like, they should be better even in the next couple of years, but while you're here, you might as well go ahead and win it. Iowa has been, you know, dreaming of this moment already this year. Uh, man, I'm, I've been caught up all day. If I was betting with my head, if I was betting with my head, I would honestly bet Iowa uh, and just say, you know, Caitlin Clark and Iowa's on a special run. But you know, bro, to be honest with you, I'd be purple and gold. So go Tigers. I'm just going to say they find a way to get it done. Okay, fair enough. We will see how this does end up panning out. Um, this is a definitely electric uh, national championship here on the women's side. So <clears throat> let me keep ordering as the month of March commences, comes to an end. We come into the month of April. Happy April Fool's Day or post April Fool's Day today. I got caught with a big joke yesterday. But um, Major League Baseball is underway, people, and uh, I'm actually okay right now. I don't want to get too hyped right now because it's just two games or three games that some teams have played. But out the gate, 
my team is out in front, but I know something could happen. It's early. Um, the scores from yesterday, we have the Astros knocking off the White Sox 6-4, to four, uh, in which the White Sox are now 1-2. and two. The Astros are 2-1. and one. Astanek wins his first game of the season. Kelly loses, and Naris wins, uh, gets the save. The Cardinals knock off the Blue Jays 4-1. Uh, the Brewers knock off the Cubs three to one, and I, and that's one thing I do. I want the Cubs to turn this around, but they got rid of so many different pieces. I don't know when when the Cubs are going to get back to when they were chasing, you know, the mayhem of the the, the Billy Goat, you know, curse, and just want to get them restarted. But we will see how that happens. The Braves are undefeated at this point in time, two and zero out the gate, seven one win up against the Nationals in D.C. Uh, Strider gets his first win of the season. Gray loses this matchup giving up so many runs have been in this game early. The Rangers blow out the Philadelphia Phillies 16-3. Did not expect this type of shellacking early. Um, Mitch Garver, former twin, actually had a good start in this game as well. Uh, Ovalde uh, had a, a win going up against Wheeler. Wheeler gets the loss. ERA is looking crazy at this point in time. Now, me, being in the location where I am, I am in the tri-state area of the United States. The San Francisco Giants go into the Bronx up against the Bronx Bombers and win in Yankee Stadium 7-5 up against the Yankees. They both are 1-1 one one at this point in time. This is interesting because the Giants were the team trying to sign Aaron Judge, and Aaron Judge ended up staying in New York. However, they do split at this point in time. We will see the tiebreaker game as of today. Another blowout, and I know – people that I know out there in Anaheim would love this. They actually bruised the Oakland A's 13-1 to in Oakland out there in the Bay. Um, hopefully Oakland could stay afloat. They are 1-1. One one. I don't want them to fall way behind because they've always been an offensive powerhouse. But right now, this is it's early. It is still early. They're 500, but I don't want to see Oakland fall into that 50-something and 100 losses type of situation. Hopefully they could stay afloat and make it interesting in the AL West. We will see how that does end up going down the line. Uh, the Red Sox win their matchup up against the Orioles, 9-8, to eight, in a, a walk-off home run situation. And sitting up here, again, okay, so now I'm going to try to say what I'm also in the New England area. So multiple TVs were on where I was at. And um, there was a couple of Red Sox fans there. And watching this home run get hit in this game was uh, something else to end the game to um, – and if Duvall, when Duvall hit the home run and just watching these people get excited, I'm like, here in Connecticut, these guys are cheering for the Red Sox like this, but there are Red Sox fans here, like a good amount. It's not like a, a handful here and a handful there. But for them, the Porters went off late up against the Orioles. Well, the Orioles made this a game, too, but winning this game 9-8 uh, in Boston. The next matchup I have is another blowout, and this is interesting that this is happening, that teams are giving up big runs. And this could be effective to the, uh, the pitch count or the, the clock, if you will, where we're starting to see – Baseball played at a different speed. Uh, but the Rays win this matchup up against the Tigers 12-2 to in Tampa. Uh, Eflin uh, comes off with the win, and Turnbull loses this matchup uh, in Tampa Bay. The Minnesota Twins win their matchup 2 to nothing up against the Royals in Kansas City. Um, I, this is why I said I don't want to get hyped because it is early. The Twins haven't given up a run yet. So it's like, yes, come on. <laughs> That's what I've been waiting for. If this team could find pitching, we're in the game. I don't want to talk junk right now, but this is the Royals. They are not one of the, the league's best. 
But for them to at least hold these guys down in Kansas City, it gives it gives me a little confidence. But we got to go up against a good offense for me to start saying, okay, if we shut them out, then I could talk my junk. But for them to win this game two nothing, uh, if you haven't been watching, Byron Buxton has actually been on a tear. Um, one of the more notable all-stars on his team, Sonny Gray, comes up with the win for us. Uh, Lyles comes up with the loss, and Lopez pulls out the save for the Twins. The Mets win their matchup up against the Marlins, starting the season out 2-1 and one in the NL East. 6-2 uh, to two up against the Marlins in Miami. Uh, Megal uh, pulls off the win, and Nardi's the he has a loss in Miami. Alonzo has a double in this game that uh, basically sparked the Mets early in the win. The Cincinnati Reds win their matchup up against the Pittsburgh Pirates, 6-2, to two, uh, in which what type of Pirates team will we see? Because the Pirates actually play well in spring training and um, early <laughs> in an early situation, but they're 500 at this point in time. Only two games played. Can't really measure that. But 6-2 in a winning effort for the Cincinnati Reds in Cincinnati. Uh, the next matchup I have are the San Diego Padres winning their matchup up against the Rockies, eight to four. Uh, will the Padres win the NL West is one of the questions that I do have, especially with all the money that they tied up in a lot of different players. I think they can, but the next team that I do have in front of me, I feel like it's still one of the forefront leaders of the NL West, and that's the Los Angeles Dodgers in blowout in LA win this matchup ten to one. In which, if you know about basketball. There's a three-point shooter madman named Clay Thompson. Well, his brother Tracy, this guy, this guy hit three home runs. <laughs> a grand slam, a three-run homer, and a solo shot. He was going crazy. He basically was responsible for majority of all ten of the runs that were scored uh, in this game up against the Diamondbacks. Uh, I'm wondering if the Diamondbacks can bounce back and beat themselves uh, how they were when they were making storms within the league, but Right now, they lost a good amount of people. Hopefully, they don't just coast through the season and, uh, you know, get their lumps here or there. But this is a bad loss uh, in L.A., but this is a division rivalry nevertheless. Uh, the last game I do have is another shutout. The Cleveland Guardians win their matchup 2 nothing up against the Mariners in Seattle, uh, pushing their record to 2-1, and one, and the Mariners are now 1-2 and two at this point in time. Uh, I want to hit on a couple of games, but I do want to see how you feel about these ones right now, Mike. What game caught your attention, or which one do you like to speak about first? Mike, are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, my bad. Talking on mute. Uh, <laughs> so, looking at this, for the pitch clock rule for sure, and this 2 to nothing win last night with uh, with Cleveland, over Seattle, that game only took like two hours and four minutes. You know, it was two solo home runs uh, by Cleveland in that game. Uh, Aaron Savelle pitched well for the uh, for the Indians and on the on the on the for the Guardians and on the Seattle side. Uh, really, you got had a good pitching performance as well uh, from Logan Gilbert yesterday. Uh, just around baseball, it's just nice to see. It's nice to see it count, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, the ball flying for real, it counts now. It's, uh, you know, we are into the thick of that major league season. Uh, for the first time since, like, the 60s, we had every team play uh, on opening day. And, of course, you had a lot of off days on uh, on Friday. But Pablo uh, Lopez for the Twins, after a good start in game one, and then 
Sonny Gray in game two. Like you said, if the Twins can hit, I mean, if the Twins can pitch, uh, we know that they have some. Uh, we know they have some bats. They should be. They should really be okay. Uh, but no, just looking around the league, uh, Luis Arias has got has gotten off to a really good start with uh, with Miami, going four for five yesterday. He went. Uh, he's got hits in every game that they've played so far. So he's doing his thing early on for uh, for the Marlins. But, you know, Aaron Judge hits the first home run of the year. We've seen some pitch clock violations. But I think, uh, you know, you mentioned Arizona right there. Look out for Corbin Carroll this year. Uh, and they've got some good young players and some prospects in Arizona. So, so to see what those guys can do will be interesting. And I think that, Washington and Oakland are going to be fighting it out for the worst record in baseball by the end of the year. We will see how that does end up pinning out. How do you feel about the Braves out of the gate? Uh, so, I mean, I think they did what they were supposed to do against a, a uh, inferior opponent, no shade to the Nationals. They're just, they don't have the, uh, you know, they don't have the horses that they had a couple of years ago. Um, this is a rebuilding team. Uh, the Braves, you know, you got, it looks like you have Acuna healthy. Matt Olson had a great spring and then he's coming out swinging it uh, early on in spring training. Those two guys hit back to back home runs yesterday uh, to start that game. But the the biggest thing to me to watch is the injuries time. Like uh, with all these teams, the Braves lost their uh, their ace in the first game of the season, uh, coming off the mound, little hamstring injury. Probably going to have to go to the uh, IL for a few days. So you know, not a good way to get it started. But they do have some depth in that organization. So I you know I think it's a good roster, um, and so. And the Mets dropping one this weekend doesn't doesn't hurt. And then you look, and boy, Texas is scoring runs. So uh, Philly really took it on the chin yesterday too. So I, I I think they'll be fine. But I think once again, you know, you get nervous when your uh, when your best pitcher goes down. That that kind of scares you a little bit. So hopefully you can get him back uh, sooner rather than later. But I feel good about where they're at and their uh, and their roster makeup. And I think it'll be. Uh, you know, I still think until they get knocked off, they got to be considered uh, the favorites in the National League East. I mean, you've won it a few years. I feel like you kind of you kind of get the uh, the right to be the favorite after a while. But it's definitely it's definitely teams out there coming for their neck, right? So we will see how it shakes out. Definitely, Okay, so Sports City, um, I'm trying my best to, like, stay away from the steak and potatoes and everything I need to get to. But I'm going to slowly creep to it because I, I kind of want to, like, set the table as best as I possibly can. The dishes are there. The dishes are there, and everything's up there just bubbling on the stove, and I'm trying my best to, like, crawl around this kitchen before I start hitting things up. So what I'm going to do is get into some NBA because, of course, to me, I don't care what people say. This is the best sport on earth. I don't care what nobody say. I know a lot of people love their football, and I'm talking about – both of them, American and football soccer version. But um, the thrills and spills that have been happening on the, the floor 
I, I don't even know what to say. Just, just can't disappoint you by, by any means. But I'm going to do the best that I can. So I'm going to get into some of the scores and scenarios that are happening in the league and go from there. The Miami Heat win their matchup up against the Dallas Mavericks, 129-122, to 122, uh, in which Luka Doncic goes off for 42, 10 rebounds and 8 assists in a losing effort. Jimmy Butler puts up 35 points and 12 assists in a winning effort in Miami. Both of these teams needed this game, but the Mavericks needed it more because they are on the outside looking in on the playing situation. They are sitting 11th or worse at this point in time. And um, I don't know if they'll get it together. They are now at their 78th game. They have four games left in the season. It's tough. They're going to need some teams to fold in front of them, whether it's the Thunder, the Lakers, so on and so forth. The Thunder may be, be the one that might slip up. But if not, the Mavericks will be on the outside looking in, especially like I said previously. This is with the preseason MVP favorite in Luka Doncic and a team that had just made the Western Conference final last year and they gave up pieces and they don't look like the same team. I don't know how they construct this. There's already talks of Luka wanting out of Dallas as of this week he started saying this. So we will see how that pans out. The other game that did take place yesterday was a very interesting one. The New Orleans Pelicans and everything's going down in Louisiana right now. They knock off the Clippers 122 to 114 in which Kawhi goes off for 40 points and eight rebounds and B.I. Brandon Ingram has 36 points and eight assists in this matchup. Mike, your thoughts on either of these games that took place yesterday. You know, the, uh, the Pelicans are, are very, very interesting because this is a team that a lot of people, including me, uh, sort of had marked for dead, right? And then Brandon Ingram, it took him a couple of games to sort of get back into rhythm. Uh, but then over the last nine, he's averaged like 29 eight and six or something. He dropped 36 last night. Uh, this Pelicans team has found a rhythm right when they needed it most. Um, so, yeah, Brandon Ingram put up those stat lines in his last nine games. Uh, Pelicans are really taking care of business late and have really found another gear that I wasn't quite sure they had to try to get into this to this playoff picture. If they could get I don't know what's going to happen with him. I keep hearing rumors about possibly Zion getting back, uh, but I'm not sure. If he's on the court and right with that team, then I think the sky's the limit for him. But without Zion on the court, like, I I don't know that this team can get out of the first round of the play-in, but for them to recover, because they really struggled. Uh, for a lot of the months of February and a good bit of March, the fact that they got off to a really good start sort of helped them. And, you know, now you're starting to see it. That that was a, a big win over the Clippers yesterday. They took care of business on their road trip. Now they got a homestand to end the season. So we'll see if they can do what they need to do to make sure they secure themselves a spot in the playoffs or at least in the top 10 to get into the play-in. And then, the Clippers, man, I mean, Kawhi drops 40, but, you know, it's pretty much sticking B.I. and gives up 36 on the other end. And then you have a team I just don't, you know, you you got Paul George out, and this Clippers team, I think, to realize their potential really needs them both. 
I mean, I think they can still get into that plan, but they're going to have to have their horses healthy to really be able to contend. This is a team that I feel like has uh, underperformed this season. But then looking at at Dallas, man, like, wow. We talked about them a little bit last week, right? Like, uh, the one thing they don't want to do is lose their franchise in Luka, but this Luka and Kyrie experiment together uh, has not really worked. So I don't think you're going to see – uh, Kyrie back there, but they're going to have to try to do whatever they can to, you know, bring the pieces in for Luca to be, to at least give him what they, what they need to be good. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, he's played at such a high level and this is the team that what made the Western conference finals last year. So, uh, this year they're on the, they really are on the verge of, of missing out altogether. They got to find a way to ride the ship, but I don't, I don't, that doesn't look promising for Dallas. The one thing that concerns me is how do they make this better? Um, they don't have bigs in that that paint that are effective. They got JaVel McGee there to be that guy. JaVel is a specialty big guy, but he's not a night-by-night night big, and it's not helping them for them to bring him there, and um, he's not effective night-by-night. Night. Um, the guys that they do have in, like, Kleber and them, they're, they're effective on the floor at certain times of the game, but it's not enough to win games which they need right now. This Dallas team won the Western Conference Final last year, and they're under 500. That's a heck of a drop-off. I blame management. I don't put this all in front of Jason Kidd because this is Jason Kidd's, I think, what, second year in Dallas, second or third year in Dallas. So it's like he's making do with the pieces that he has, but they don't really have a solid paint game. They they work around the perimeter, try to shoot threes, and now they more or less play theater basketball because Luka – is effective in what he does. He's not as efficient, but he's effective when uh, he's playing that one-on-one isolation ball. If he misses, that team is on an island trying to survive. You don't have any big in that game that is getting them more than nine to ten points a game averaging. Like These guys are all shooters, and I don't know how Dallas try to turn this thing and finesse this. I don't know what management is going to do. I know Mark Cuban is one of the best owners in sports, but this is not looking good at least approaching the playoffs, which is taking place in a week or so. So Dallas is in a, a formidable situation. Um, these two guards, being Kyrie and Luka, they can score like crazy. These guys are ISO madmen, but they I don't think it's going to work together. And I think that Kyrie's gone at the end of the season, um, especially with him complaining about that area. You know, Texas don't play around with nobody, especially when you're trying to work their media. They, they'll oust you or make it look bad. I, I don't think they're nowhere near as bad as like a New York market. But nevertheless, I, I think Kyrie will be packed and going somewhere else. I don't think that he'll get to L.A. because L.A.'s kind of on D'Angelo Russell at this time. But who's to say that they don't make this happen because Kyrie will be a, a hot commodity into the season. I, I don't think Dallas sits there and keeps them there. And already Luke is not having fun. Luke is talking about being traded, so on and so forth. It's, this is this is getting disgusting. And one of the biggest falls from Grace in just a season where you got rid of the pieces that helped you get there. You added your piece back with Tim Hardaway because Tim Hardaway Jr. wasn't there. He's there now, and he's not helping them. So I don't know what Dallas does at this point in time, but this is a very questionable situation all across the board. As much as I try to escape blame for Jason Kidd, uh, uh, he wanted Kyrie to be there, and it's not working. It's not working with him, Luka, and and the the cast, however you want to look at it. Um, Me, personally, as a fan, I don't want to see Dallas do well because – the Thunder are right in front of them, you know, but analytically, you know, calling this how we need to, it, it's good for basketball when they have a, 
a notable star, superstar, all-star in the playoffs where they, they get to watch them in a seven-game series and see what they can do. And Luke is not looking good out the gate. I mean, his first two seasons, he lost seven-game series to the Clippers, then had the run last year. Uh, to get to the Western Conference Finals and losing to Golden State, you would think that the redemption would be on their minds. They don't even look like they're ready to redeem anything at this point in time. So uh, Dallas has to figure it out in these last four games. I really feel like they're going to have to win out. And I don't think that's in them. I don't think they're going to win the next four. I don't. I really feel like they're they're scouting department. I feel like their scouting department didn't do their homework because a lot of people really thought, you know, hey, bringing in Christian Woods, it really gives them a solid big to go with those guys. And, like, at first glance, you know, it looks good. It's kind of like they say sometimes, you don't sound good. But uh, but he doesn't really play defense. And I don't know if they thought maybe his scoring would make up for it or maybe if they didn't do their homework on him before they brought him in and they didn't really realize. And then that's on the, that's on the front office, like you said. And, I mean, that's on the organization more so than the coach because you got to have guys that can play de- that can defend and help you protect the rim too and he doesn't do that plus he's kind of a face up shooter he's not really a a back to the basket type you know really take over a game type uh big man that can get you tough buckets when you really need them so uh you know I think that Christian Woods is not what in the end, he's not what they thought he was going to be for them uh, at, in the post. I think the the trading of or, or the watching Jalen Brunson depart, especially after the run that he went on last year, and while Luka was out those games in the playoffs, he helped carry that team, and Dallas didn't respect or honor what he brought to the table I thought, well, we could do this with anybody. No, it's hurting them right now. Brunson's actually helping carry the Knicks out east as best as possible, while Dallas is on the outside looking in. I don't know if they can replace that. Kyrie, to me, is the better guard out of the two between him and Brunson, but it's not working with uh, him and Luka at the end of the day. So this this is a a broad slice of humble pie um, for Dallas. I wonder if they could turn this around next season because I really feel like they'll end up missing the play in forget it's the playoffs, but um, their management is going to have to do the best that they can, free agency, to try to get the best big available, and hoping that they could work alongside with Luka, but now, with me saying that, I kind of got to take a step back and look at how everything went in the past past year or two ago, where everybody talked and looked at Kristaps Porzingis and saying, Porzingis didn't fit, so on and so forth, and he's not a good player. He's doing well in Washington right now, even though Washington isn't a threat to be in the playoffs, so on and so forth, or if they get to the play and they'll probably be bumped. But Porzingis is doing okay out there in D.C. It wasn't able to work with him alongside Luka. Is Luka the problem? Like, and the one thing about it is, is the way that he plays, he's a dribbling scorer. Like, he has to pound the hell out the ball to score, whether he's going to get somebody to the rim and score, work his, his step back and shoot the three. It's all about Luka, like, Luka did his assists here and there. Don't get me wrong. He'll have his triple-doubles. But is it winning culture? And I don't know if it's winning culture. It's exciting. It's entertaining. But at the end of the day, Luka is at the forefront of the situation, and he's young and is already running from the blame, if you will, saying that he's not having fun. Make it fun. If, if you're the one that's trying to put up so many odd shots and so on and so forth and 
made this theater basketball so when the clock gets to five and they're defending you well, you try to kick it to somebody that hoists up a quick shot. That's that's not basketball. This is what you were doing with Chris Asperzingas. When Zingas was getting the ball with three seconds on the clock shooting a three, it's like what is he, he's a catch and shoot seven foot three player like this this is what's happening alongside Luca. Hopefully the dynamic can change in front of Luca. I don't see it. I feel real bad because I do like his style of play, but it's not effective. It's not effective, especially with how he struggled the first couple of games in his, well, the first couple of seasons in his career. Forget games. The first couple of seasons in his career uh, for him getting bumped twice to the Clippers, coming out on top of them last year, and now potentially outside of the playoffs. This is a very interesting run for Luka, to say the least. But, um, yeah. I don't even know where to Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to ask if you have the standings in front of you uh, for the Western I do. Conference. I'm looking right at it. Which ones which one do you want, Western or Eastern Conference? I have them both in front of me right now. No, no, so let's look at the West. Let's see how tightly they're all packed in there now. Still, if, if we got any separation this last week, since we got, you know, this is our last week of the regular season coming up, right? So uh, let's look at the West and see where they're, where they're all packed in. I'll start from one down. The Nuggets – clinched. They're 51-26. The Grizzlies are 49-28, two games back in the second place. The Kings are 47-34 games back. The Suns are 42-35. and 35. They're nine games back. This is where it starts getting interesting. So four down. Golden State has moved up to fifth place. They're 41-37. They're 10 and a half back. The Clippers are 41-38. They're 11 games back. This is crazy. The, the Pelicans are 40-38. and 38. They're at 11 and a half back. It's so long, damn. The Lakers are 39 and 38. They're 12 games back. The Wolves are sitting at 9, 39 and 39, 12 and a half games back. 10th place is the Oklahoma City Thunder. They're 38 and 40, 13 and a half games back. The Dallas Mavericks are 37 and 41 on the outside looking in at 11 seed, 14 and a half back. And the last team that's not eliminated as of yet are the Utah Jazz, 36 and 41. They're 15 games back. They're all within reason from, even though I don't think the way that things look, but from four to 12, six-game difference, but there's four games left. So they, the Jazz and the Mavericks need things to happen with either more than likely the Thunder and the Wolves to fall apart to make the playoffs. That can happen. It can happen. But, I, you know, for it, it to be so long, Jam, from four to eight, I really want to say four to like nine, really. It's three and a half games. It's three and a half games between the fourth seed and the ninth seed. Like, this is incredible. I've never seen it that log jam-packed, but your thoughts on what, what you wanted me to mention in the Western Conference standings? Yeah, it's, it's definitely kind of all spread out, but you see some of these teams matching up against each other. So, uh, you know, you you see like the Clippers with 38 losses right there. Yeah, you know the losses are are about about the same for a lot of these teams. Especially, I feel like Phoenix at four, even Golden State at at five, feel pretty secure. But once you start getting to six, from six down, uh, these teams can still shake out just about any other way. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, um, you look the the Lakers this week. I think they play Houston today, and then they have a run. They have. Uh, they have the Jazz and they have uh, Phoenix uh, coming down the stretch. So 
it, you know, some of these teams still play each other too in this last week. So they're, they're all kind of jumbled in here. It's a little bit more broken up than it was a week ago. Like we talked about, like winning a few games can, can definitely help you uh, coming down the stretch. And it's helped the Pelicans and the Lakers uh, this week, but anything, I feel like anybody, anything can still happen. And the one thing that I will say in the Western conference, I was even looking at those teams that clinched. I don't believe you, Denver, uh, Memphis, like you still trying to get your own house in order. And as impressed as I am with the Sacramento Kings this season, uh, playoff basketball can be a different animal. So, uh, I think, listen, that whole playoff bracket in the Western Conference is going to be uh, – be careful because uh, you, you might see some of these lower seeds come out of the first round. It's going to be a, a wild, wild west for sure. You want to know something else that I'm looking at right now? The playing games. The way that everything is situated in the West, I hope it stays this way, the way it is right now. One person I need right now, I need Zion on the floor today or the next game. He has to get out there to get in-game shape. I can't say shape because, you know, he's not in the shape everybody wants him to be in. But at least get your legs involved because it could be Pelicans-Lakers, especially with the rivalry there with ben, uh, B.I. and all of the guys that had to leave the Lakers for LeBron to kind of clear house for Anthony Davis to get there. This is to be like the revenge game as much as possible. And then the Wolves and the Thunder. And now this has become kind of a, a little rivalry in the Northwest Division as well, too. So this would be a very interesting, you know, four-team battle royale. And, and I really feel like the Pelicans could actually edge them if Zion's out there. If Zion's not there, I don't think they could beat the Lakers. Um, in which the last game the Lakers did play, Anthony Davis rolled his ankle, but he continued to play. So that's something that people are going to have to watch closely because everybody thought that he was going to be healthy getting into the playoffs. And it's like, no, not again, Anthony. Like, so hopefully he can stay out there, remain as, you know, best and, you know, safe as possible out there. But I, I don't know. And, and if LeBron has to do the heavy lifting again, not saying that he can't do it, but it's like, come on, this dude, is he's approaching 40 now. Somebody's going to have to help him. And not saying that the Lakers have not – done well at this point in time because they have turned it around at the latter point of, well, I want to say the month of March, they actually turned it on well. Um, They have to get it done, and and I think they're going to have to shoot Anthony Davis up with whatever cortisone shot and that angle to keep him on the floor as best as possible. Um, I hope the dynamic doesn't change for them, but the way that this play-in situation looks in the Western Conference from 7 to 10, I want it to remain how it is because I like how the matchups are. Um, anybody could surprise anybody at this point in time. I, I, I love it. Um, look, looking at – well, there's another situation in the Western Conference I, I did want to mention um, in which the Pelicans were playing the Clippers. In this game, Tyron Lue had rested Kawhi in one of the games that they played against the Pelicans, and nobody on the team knew that they were going to rest Kawhi while Kawhi was going crazy, and they still had to try to, like, make do without him. So – this load management situation is spilling into postseason play. Russell Westbrook and Norman Powell both displayed, like, I don't want to really just say frustration, but they questioned why they were doing it while they're in the middle of a game and let alone fighting for position in the Western Conference. Like I said, it's so long, Jim, you would want to at least try to fight for the fourth seed to at least try to get home court in the first round. Them sitting at six seed, uh, they won't get a uh, home court advantage, but they will uh, – 
avoid the plan, but they are sitting right outside the plan situation too. So this is interesting in itself. The Eastern Conference, though, very interesting to say the least bit. Um, I, I wonder who's going to sit atop right now. The Milwaukee Bucks are sitting atop the, the conference at number one, clinching 55-22. and 22. Uh, The Celtics are 54-24, and 24, a game and a half back. The Sixers are 51 and 26, four games back. The Cleveland Cavaliers are 48 and 30, seven and a half back. All four of those teams have clinched, uh, at least a playoff spot. The Knicks are sitting at 45 and 33, 10 and a half back. The Brooklyn Nets are still hanging on to the six seed, 42 and 35, 13 games back. The Miami Heat are 41 and 37, 14 and a half back. The Atlanta Hawks are 38 and 39, 17 games back. The Raptors are 38 and 39, 17 games back. And the Bulls are rounding out and turning this on late at the 10th seed, 37 and 40, 18 games back. The Wizards are on the outside looking in, like I said. They're 34 and 43, 21 games back. They'd have to win out. Chicago would have to start losing. The Pacers are 34 and 44, 21 and a half back. And the Orlando Magic, somehow, someway, are still keeping their head above water. They're 33 and 44. They'd have to win out as well. They have five games left. Um, but I don't think they'd make that magic happen. It's still available, but they need everybody to lose in front of them. But I do have to applaud Orlando because I thought this would be another season where they probably would fall apart. They are at least hanging in there, but they won't probably be in the sweepstakes for Victor Wimbayamba. Um, Mike, your thoughts on the Eastern Conference, how things are going down with these teams slated, as mentioned. Well, you know, the interesting thing is Orlando's going to miss out, right? So they're going to be at least one of the teams getting in that lottery uh, for this number one overall pick. To me, the questions in the East are, can Boston catch Milwaukee only a game and a half off? Um, I I think that Philly's got a better chance of catching Boston. I don't think uh, Philadelphia's going to get up to that number one seed. Um, and then the other question is, can Miami – you know, coming off the win last night, can they do enough and catch Brooklyn for that sixth seed and avoid the play-in? Other than that, I feel like that everything is probably fairly solid in the East. I feel like Cleveland's got enough of a lead over New York to get that to get that four seed. Uh, and so I, I think you can pretty much count on a Cleveland-New York first-round matchup. Uh, the interesting thing, like I said, is just to see if Milwaukee can hold off for first, and I think they can. And then can Miami catch Brooklyn? I think that's more likely than Boston catching Milwaukee. But to me, those are the big questions right now. Uh, hearing you go over those standings and looking over that in the Eastern conferences, who gets the one and who gets the six? Because I feel like everything else is pretty much set. What I'm stunned about is the Brooklyn Nets. I really thought that they would lose ground in the Eastern Conference, especially losing Kyrie and KD. I thought that they would probably fall apart. They are doing all right to stay at least in the playoffs to get the play in. Um, tip my hat to Mikael Bridges, uh, Cam Johnson, and, of course, Jacques Vaughn, the coach, to keep this together as best as possible. Um, for the pieces that they picked up and they still playing cohesive basketball to be played a, a team to be in the playoffs for a seven game series, we get just one game for the playing. So I am giving the, the Nets credit, at least at this point in time. I'm gonna I'm gonna actually agree with you. I'm watching this race between the Bucks and the Celtics to see who's fighting for first place. They can't rest at the end of the season. I think the Celtics and the Bucks are gonna play throughout. I, I don't think they could 
afford to lose that last game unless it really was the one-and-a-half game lead by Milwaukee and they can't catch them. They could lose it and, and still be up by half a game. But this is going to be an interesting run to the end, at least for the first-place seed in the Eastern Conference, to say the least bit. Okay, so Sports City, I've been dodging this bullet like I'm Neo in the first Matrix as much as possible. But like I said, that month of March needs a straight jacket. I don't, I don't know what else to say. Like I said, basketball is my favorite sport. I feel it's the best sport on earth, period. If you have not been watching what's been going on, please go get YouTube, Google, whatever you need to do, but never count anybody out. Please don't ever count anybody out. That's, that's what one thing that I'm going to start off by that. And by me saying that, I'm talking about the men's Final Four. Let me tell you the first game that went down between Florida Atlantic and San Diego State. Florida Atlantic, first and foremost, I tip my hat to everything that you guys brought to the table. Uh, being from Conference USA, a lot of people didn't think that you guys were going to do well in this bracket, let alone the people that just were in the finals in the NIT were both North Texas and UAB, both teams in the Conference USA. And, of course, one had to win. North Texas won it. And um, having Florida Atlantic be here, and these guys looked like they were going to cruise right to the Final Four, or, or excuse me, to the National Championship and uh, take care of business, especially the way that they started the game off. They were shooting the ball well, uh, trying to avoid, you know, being in foul trouble. But one of their bigs, and Vladislav uh, Golden, he had four fouls. He had to come off the floor here or there, but he still was able to play effective. They had a 14-point lead in this game, and San Diego State started storming their way back as best as they could. They got this game to a three-point game, trading, you know, free throws and scoring and cutting it to one, and free throws again and cutting it to one. They missed this being Florida Atlantic, missed the shot, get the ball down court, and the clock is running. Seconds, and <laughs> they're moving the ball around, and it's two seconds left, and Butler gets the ball, takes a power dribble left, and just pulls up that ball in the air, and the buzzer bangs, and he hits the shot. If you're talking about electricity, now, mind you, I'm in an area where I'm nowhere near Florida. I'm nowhere near California. And everybody in this place was screaming like they were in Florida or shocked that they were somewhere around California. And there was one person in the bar that was sitting two seats away from me that was not only from Florida, she actually went to Florida Atlantic, and she actually wagered on the game for Florida Atlantic to win. When it hit the shot, she started going crazy, buying people drinks and everything. I It's static. I'm talking about it's electric. Basketball, I, I I I really can't say too much about this, but Florida Atlantic, you did a great job. I really thought that you guys had enough to beat San Diego State. You had the bigs, you had guards that could shoot, the guards could actually penetrate, get to the rim and score, and it just wasn't enough to stop San Diego State. Shout out to San Diego State and the, the job that they did. Uh, Mike, your thoughts on this game? Well, you know, you and I have been talking for over a month about buzzer beaters, even in the last Vega season in February. Remember, we came on the show on Sunday, and we had the Arizona, Arizona State buzzer beater. We had the Miami buzzer beater, <laughs> you know, uh, down at at the end. And so it's fitting that at least one of the final four games ended on a buzzer beating shot because we've been seeing a lot of this, you know, throughout the not only the tournament, but the end of the regular season as well. So big ups to San Diego State and their career assist leader, Mr. Padre Tony Gwynn, rest in power, young king. 
But the uh, the Aztecs, man, like, uh, you know, it, it's funny because their head coach is a Steve Fisher protege. So, you know, a lot of Michigan guys, a lot of the Fab Five people from Michigan claiming a little bit of uh, ownership of, of this as well. But, you know, what, what a game yesterday to, to open it up and to start the Final Four. You couldn't ask for more drama. And it's really interesting because I've been reading stuff this week about how they were really worried about the ratings being a lot lower this year without the Blue Bloods being there. But, you know, if people didn't watch yesterday and and see this first game, uh, that's not the fault of college basketball. That's not the fault of NCAA. Shame on you as a basketball fan for missing that game. Yeah, if they didn't watch it, who cares? <laughs> I'm not. I'm. I'm happy. I got to see it. it. Electric, electric basketball. Um, I really thought with the way that that was going down with those last couple of seconds with San Diego State, I didn't think they were gonna get a shot off. I thought it was gonna be a rush shot, and it was gonna be one of those heave holes. I, I didn't think they were gonna get a good shot. The way that he got the shot off, of course, it was, you know, energy off that shot, and he had to get it out of his hands regardless. And he was in range for it to be a decent sized shot. Like he wasn't, he was within the three point line. He pulled up, and he has a history for hitting buzzer beaters for San Diego State. He hit one in February too, uh, for the Aztecs. So that's another thing that these buzzer beaters are flying around as best as possible. Please don't think that game is over until that clock literally says zero zero point zero, and <laughs> the shot is enough. Please play defense as best as you can because this will end up hurting you. Now. I said I'm not from the Florida area. I'm not from the California area. I am a diehard Hurricane fan in football. But as you hear the show starts and the show ends, they say Connecticut. Oh, and close out. I live right here in this state. And um, let me tell you, the bar that I went to is basically a Husky bar. And um, the energy has been electric in there for the past two weekends. Last weekend it was so electric, and I said we got to do it again. All of my buddies that came down uh, that I grew up with was down there, and it was so packed in there you could not get a seat. You couldn't even sit in the sport books uh, in the location either. It, it was just incredible amount of people, incredible energy. And um, Miami kept this game reason within reason. I don't want to say close, but they were able to shrink the deficit as best as possible, but – Connecticut had the lead from start to finish, wire-to-wire win for Connecticut. And um, it's always somebody else that steps up for UConn. And uh, for Tanogo, the the big, for him to start out the game hitting two threes and let the team in scoring says a lot on what UConn brought to this game. But, again, they they have shooters all across the floor. They have bigs that they could just funnel in and out of the game. And one of the stars, Jackson Jr., got two fouls early, he came back into the game, and his his aura was kind of like slowing the game down. He was getting his pocket picks on and so forth, but he had a couple of, you know, in-game dunks that had the, the momentum go back into their favor. The, the the Huskies really didn't waver away from that 10-point deficit, even though Miami was trying to cut it to like four and, and make it interesting. But never, never did UConn lose this lead, and I got to give the Huskies a ton of credit for not only representing the Big East, but, of course, the state of Connecticut is all behind them. Just knowing the electricity within that building all across the city, all across the state, everybody I know is putting up stuff about Connecticut this, Connecticut that. The energy around here is very electric at this point in time. Uh, Mike, your thoughts on the 72-59 win up against the Miami Hurricanes? 
I said this last weekend after the way Connecticut dispatched Arkansas and Gonzaga, beating them by the widest margin that we've ever seen in an Elite Eight game. Connecticut has won five games in this tournament by a combined 103 points. I mean, so what that tells you is with all these other close games, now once again, Miami kept it at 13, but, you know, if you divide that out, that means Connecticut is winning by an average margin of 20.6 points per game in this tournament. I said going in uh, last weekend with you on this show, I said, to me, Connecticut looks like the most impressive team in the tournament. You worry when you haven't been there that maybe you go home, you got all the attention, all the extra media and everything else. If you haven't been there before, you worry about maybe like the pomp and circumstance of the Final Four being a little bit too much for a squad or whatever. This team came out again last night and showed you that, okay, maybe a different weekend, maybe in a different location but we still came to dominate. Now, you know, of course, they didn't blow them out the way they have uh, previous opponents, you know, last weekend and in the first couple rounds of this tournament. But at the same time, watching that game, big shout-out to Miami and what they've been able to accomplish this season. Uh, You know, Isaiah Wong, nice player, good season for Jim Laranega's group. Uh, But they just didn't have enough. And Connecticut, to me, did nothing but reinforce what I believe going into this weekend that they were the that they've been the most impressive team left in the tournament. So we'll see, you know, moving forward we'll get to that. But uh, you know, big ups to UConn, man. Like just, you know, bouncing back and, and like you said, representing that state and that conference, uh, they they definitely look the part of a of a championship team this season. Uh, as of the final four coming down to, I really want to say the elite eight, but the final four, they were the favorites to win it all. I, I think it is the elite eight. Uh, they were the, uh, the favorites to win it. And now with them in front of San Diego state in Vegas, the spread is seven and a half and they have beaten everybody by double digits. You said it's not a blowout. I think 13 is a fair enough blowout. Like you, you got to think that they're getting shots up that you kind of like don't foul. And plus they, they put the, the bench players in at the end of the game, they even let uh, Danny Hurley's son get in the game. And one play, he just stood there with the ball to pick up five seconds. He stood there with the ball and the defender just stood. He didn't dribble. He didn't try to take a step. Danny advised his son to stand right next to him and just jab step the guy, but the guy wasn't biting for it. He had just dribbled and, and got the clock off him. They just transitioned the ball to Miami to give them the ball and not get another shot up and, and make it look bad. They They humbly beat them. That's that's double digits and it's close to fourteen. I I wonder where the cutoff is for blowout or not being a blowout, but they did enough to win by double digits up against a team in Miami that fought tooth and nail up against Texas that they faced this type of deficit and fought back. Um, to oh, get I there. So I, I'm just saying it's not as big a one as what we've been seeing for the last the last weekend, but they definitely right. won. So they've, they've been actually sure. putting up twenty point wins on everybody else. This one is in the teens. So, uh, respectably, they cut it to under 20. <laughs> like, they say face and not lose right. by 20-something right now. And just like you said, they're averaging being people by 20. And I think that this winning by 13 cut that less than the 23s, the 28. They beat a team the last game that they played up against Gonzaga. They beat Gonzaga by 28. Like, I don't know. I've, I've never seen UConn this charged up, especially with them catching people blindly because I'm going to tell the truth. I didn't think UConn was going to get this far. I did not. But um, they put it together right at the right time. And um, 
set up for the national championship, which takes place tomorrow. I could expect every building, every bar, every restaurant is going to be hopping, packed around here because it's always electric out here for the national championship. But with Connecticut on the line again, it's going to be mayhem. I, I could just feel it. I could feel it, especially me being in the building the past two weeks in the UConn bar and around the, the, the students that are in there because the, the UConn branch is in here in, in the city of Stanford too. And it was just, it was super electric um, to say the least, but I do have to tip my hat to what UConn's been able to do at this point in time. You ain't got no other choice now, UConn. I know San Diego State is on one of these Cinderella runs and they got the slipper and it ain't even 12 o'clock yet, especially with the way that Butler hit that shot. But you guys got to seal the deal and bring this thing back to Connecticut. Y'all got to. Y'all got to leave Texas with that championship. But I definitely don't want to count out San Diego State and what they've been doing for the state of California at this point in time. Okay, Mike, so um, your thoughts on the the game. Who do you think wins this matchup, Uh, San Diego State or UConn? And I need a plug, closeout, shout-out, anything that you'd like to promote before we get out of the building. Yeah, man. So I just think, as I said before, I think Connecticut's been the most impressive team in this tournament. You know, can't stop, won't stop. I don't think they're going to. Um, I think they get this done against San Diego State. The question is to me, uh, can San Diego State keep this thing close? Like you said, they've been representing well and doing a lot for the state of California moving forward. But I just don't think anybody's going to stop this Connecticut Huskies team. And not only do I think they're going to win, if I were putting money, I would bet the over on this seven and a half. I, I mean, I would bet – I would take them even minus the points. I think they cover – I think they uh, win this thing by double digits and they continue to uh, close things out for UConn. But they still have some rooms open. Uh, from time to time, the barber shop on Clubhouse. We got sportscitychefs.com. Check out the blog, the websites, everything we got going on. PHI Apparel, you heard the commercial. At the beginning of the show, uh, even though Texas dropped 16 on them yesterday, uh, still very early in the season. They only played twice. So, uh, lots of season left for Philly. Uh, Sixers coming into the playoffs. Lots of Philly fans, man. Lots of uh, doing some big things. So, uh, co. put in the promo code CHEFS at checkout. Get 15% off uh, for any of your friends, loved ones, anybody out there that are Philly fans, uh, definitely hit them up. And then uh, check out our other shows, man. We got uh, – we'll probably have at least one or two more between now and the draft on Tuesday night football front office shows. You got the Callers Cookout on uh, Tuesday nights with uh, GP versus the villain where good always wins. So check out the Callers Cookout on, on Wednesday night. Chandler and I chopping up at uh, Roundtable Gumbo on Thursdays. We're covering a lot going on, but – Man, just an exciting time in sports. You know, one of the fun things about this time of year is, you know, everything's going on, right? So um, definitely check us out. And once again, Thomas and I are always bringing it to you, the time of Sunday morning brunch on Sunday mornings. Without you, TP, man, I wouldn't be here. So much love and respect to you. And it's always a pleasure and a privilege to chop it up with you on Sunday mornings, man. Until next time, laissez-les bons we only do the cookout one time. He said Tuesday and Wednesday. No, Tuesday is the front office. Wednesday is the cookout. So we don't have it two days. So just to, just to let y'all know, I got y'all. Don't worry. We're we here on Wednesdays too. But um, I got to get in here for at least the front office because uh, the 
the Lions have been doing a lot of mayhem, and I got to talk about it. I know they're not talking about my boys, and I know it. So I got to get in there and start shooting my, my gun off as best as I possibly can up in that joint. And uh, Wednesday, you already know how the cookout goes down. We'll we'll be around here, definitely. This is going to be madness coming into the month of April, going into spring. It's, it's full things go around. May's coming. But definitely we got to deal with April, especially how we just mentioned people are fighting for position for the playoffs in the NBA and the national championship is tomorrow, tomorrow, I love you, tomorrow, it's only one day away. I don't know if y'all ever heard that song, but it's a movie I grew up off of. But tell a friend, that, well, on that note, tell a friend to tell a friend that it's the chefs again. And if they don't know, now they know. Sports City, Sports City, chefs, chefs, Sports City, Sports City, chefs, chefs, Sports City, Sports City, chefs. Chef. Sports City, Sports City, Chefs. Kaboom, Sports City Chefs is in the room. Cooking up hot topics to put up on your spoon. They well in tune, bloom like a flower in June. Superman vs. MF Doom, the clouds loom. So tell a friend, it's the Sports City Chefs again. Pay attention, tune in, we on the set again. Sports City, Sports City, Chefs, Chefs. Uh-huh.